1: It's January, a time when so many of us resolve to change our lives for the better. Now, one of the most common resolutions is, of course, to eat better and have a healthier lifestyle. The problem is how to do that. Now, if being healthier in 2017 is one of your resolutions and you're tired of fad diets and quick fix programs that never really work, check out can'tquitfood.com for good, non-flaky advice on how to make a sustainable lifestyle change. Now, I know this works because Can't Quit Food is run by my wife, Kimberly, and so I can attest that she not only used the strategies she discusses on the blog to lose over 100 pounds and keep it off, but that those same strategies and recipes and tips have helped me to go from an overweight, pre-diabetic to a much, much healthier version of myself all without having to subsist on tasteless gruel or any sort of weird food-like substances. And you can learn all about it at can'tquitfood.com. That's one word, can'tquitfood.com. You know, it's great to be back after our holiday break, Uh Or maybe, I don't know, Jay, I should call it a Christmas break so you don't think I'm part of that massive left-wing war on Christmas. War on Christmas. I
0: appreciate appreciate that. We didn't get to do a War on Christmas podcast. Maybe we'll do it next year. Bill O'Reilly's got that covered anyway.
1: The war will will continue. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Um, But before we get to the show, I, I want to remind everyone that we have a weekly newsletter that we think you'll really like. It comes out every Sunday, just like our weekly news review show, and it includes the best of what we've read over the last week, along with our commentary on it, our take on recent political events, and the occasional random thought, along with some updates and announcements about the podcast. Now, getting it is easy. Just go to our website, politicsguys.com, and sign up on the form you'll see there. You can also check out previous issues by clicking on the past newsletters link above the sign-up form. All right, on to today's show. Top story this week is a report released by the intelligence community on Russia's attempts to sway the U.S. presidential election. The unclassified report, which was released after classified briefings given to Congress, President Obama and President-elect Trump, concluded that the Russian influence campaign was a significant escalation in directness, level of activity and scope of effort. That initially sought to undermine faith in the U.S. democratic process, but that over time, Russia developed a clear preference for President-elect Trump. Now, there was bipartisan acceptance of these findings in Congress, and even Donald Trump back, dropped back down a bit from his earlier uh, mockery of the intelligence community's claims. Uh, A written, not a tweeted, but a written statement released by the Trump transition team cites Mr. Trump's tremendous respect for the intelligence community, which he has an interesting way of showing sometimes, and goes on to essentially admit that hacks took place before commenting that there was no hacking of voting machines. That's absolutely true. And that Republicans weren't hacked because they had strong hacking defenses. Now, that's a claim that's challenged by the report, which, in its sole mention of Republicans, says Russia collected on some republican affiliated targets but did not conduct a comparable disclosure campaign so so Jay, what do you make of this report and the president elect's response to it
0: well uh you know first we can we can talk because I think there was contrary reporting on the you know the strength of the Republican defenses and uh you know the the disclosure you know, is there that much to disclose? Um, uh, but that's but that's something else. Uh, you know, I, look, if Trump is meeting with the intelligence um, uh, top brass and seems to be buying what they're they're telling him, I I think that's probably a, a good thing. Uh, last week, he made some sort of weird statements about uh, look, we don't even know that it's it's Russia, and I've got uh some some news i've uh, you know i've got other evidence you haven't seen yet uh, at which point the press asked him well when are when are we going to see that and he said well you know next tuesday or wednesday um which kind of came and passed yeah uh, <laughs> without without anything um so I, you know I, I to some extent i think there is always a a little healthy skepticism uh that we ought to have with any intelligence reporting that we get not because of of there's something nefarious, but because these are hard, tricky questions, and it you know by its nature, uh, you know other countries are trying to keep their what they're doing obscured and putting out uh, 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 counterfactual narratives and and uh, misinformation and so forth. So so look, I think there's always worthwhile that that you know you take whatever you get from the intelligence community as this is our best understanding and our best analysis of the facts that we have. Um, well,
1: I, I agree to, it, to an extent, but I, I guess I would emphasize, my emphasis will be a little different, saying that the intelligence community, I mean, they, there are different levels of, uh, you know, uh, there are different levels of confidence they have in things, and it's pretty clear that their level of confidence on this is very high, and it's certainly one thing to always remember that, uh, in many cases, intelligence can be imperfect, but it's another thing to openly mock the intelligence community to put the word intelligence in quotes as Donald Trump right. did on Twitter. And, and, you know, I posted a, uh, in, in response to the, the Trump campaigns or Donald Trump's response to this, uh, because who knows who wrote it? Uh, I don't know if he writes things that are longer than 140 characters, but, uh, I, I said, you know, this seems like a, fairly reasonable response and a couple of listeners uh, uh posted back saying you know it's sad that the bar has been set so low that now if donald trump isn't openly questioning or openly mocking the intelligence community that this is considered some sort of some sort of victory you know and, and you know I, I think there's maybe there's maybe something there's maybe something to that i don't know what do you think
0: Look, I mean, the the bar is is set where it is, and and yeah, there's there's something to that where you know he makes a number of, and we've been talking about this for a year now. I mean, he'll make a lot of statements that are, you know, seem to be on their face sort of sort of crazy and plausible, and then walk them back, and then there's there's sort of this this sigh of relief, um, at least amongst uh, conservative Republicans of. All right. Look, he's really not that crazy. This was just sort of, you know, it's just kind of the way he talks. It's just sort of the the Trump bravado uh, that comes out. It's it's you know sort of late night tweeting uh, that might uh, you know probably shouldn't have been done. But um, you know, it it remains to be seen. I think the 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 bigger factor though is uh, all of Congress seems to be taking this seriously. And you've had uh, wide bipartisan support to call yes. for, you know, further study into to what happened, how it happened, and how to prevent it. So I I, I think that's good, and I think those those efforts are going to proceed uh, regardless of of Trump. And I think there's going to be certainly the intelligence community, which which again has its own sort of um, uh, inertia, uh, is going to uh, push for this too. Yeah. So I think there's going to be more investigations. Um, The downside, I guess, a little bit, and if you want to call it a downside or not, but again, it's the nature of of that business. We may never know, uh, nor should we know, you know, everything that took place or what they do to respond or uh, measures that are taken for further protection for for the obvious reasons, Um, which, you know, that's that's a tough thing to do. Um, And it, it leaves a door open for people to kind of play politics. And this happens on both sides. Um where you know they'll come out and make some kind of a statement, and you know the the either administration or intelligence community or or whomever is is not in a position to stand up and and rebut it um uh, simply because uh you know to do so would would give away. Uh, give away stuff we don't want to give away.
1: Right, right. Yeah, you know, and I think too, it's helpful that you mentioned Congress. That you know, John McCain certainly has been a, a strong, uh, well, anti, sort of anti-Trump voice. But also, he's been, you know, he's a very strong advocate of uh, of, of suspicion of Russia and real recognizing that Russia is not our friend. Certainly, and the fact that he is the the chair of the uh, the Armed Services Committee in the Senate, I think, is, is helpful. But in general, you know, you're absolutely right that. Congress, Congress being somewhat pretty united about this, I think is very helpful, and I, I hope that this, uh, I hope that this continues certainly. But
0: well, one other piece that I, I do want to bring to bear, and, and Trump brought this up, um, the, or the Trump surrogates brought this up, and I think it's, I think it's a fair point to make. Uh, there was also, you know, a year before a a large Chinese hack um, of government employee records. And that sort of, you know, the the Obama administration sort of let that pass, and to some extent Congress did, um, but but there is there was a little bit of, of the Trump folks pointed out disproportionality in the alarm and response to what the Russians did well sure Uh, versus to what the chinese did
1: as well there should have been because we're talking about affecting the outcomes of an election which is an entirely different thing i mean i know that we differ on this a little bit you've kind of you've kind of i feel you've kind of minimized this but you know i think the intelligence community pointing out that this is this is not business as usual at least that's the you know the findings of their report and and you know this is a this does require a much more uh, significant response and more concern because it strikes at the heart of our democratic process
0: well t- two two points of response to that one the the Chinese hack uh to me is more concerned because it was a hack of actual government computers this was actually the Chinese got into uh our 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 system it wasn't uh, a hack of a private entity being the dNC um and and second Right. I mean, sure, there's an attempt to uh, uh, move the move the needle on the election. Um, but the the methods for, for what they got out of that, to the extent that it was a pro-Trump thing, I think there was probably more more of the fake news, uh, you know, would, would be more attributable to moving any kind of uh, pro-Trump stuff than the DNC hacks, which were more really did did more to maybe help Bernie um, well, and I you, guess you can argue yeah. it, it kept some 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 Democrats at home or something like that. Sure, but but the information that came out of those DNC hacks uh, wasn't pro Trump. It was more uh, look at how corrupt the DNC is. They're they're sort of they, you know they claim the democratic process, but they're kind of well, sticking it to Bernie Sanders. Sure, it's hard to know, and you're absolutely right. It's it's and, it's, I, and I, I just I just don't think there's that many people who said. Yeah, that's terrible. I'm voting for Trump.
1: Well, I mean, I think you're right that the, the effect would be much more likely to keep people at home, especially given the widespread dislike of both candidates by uh you know big segments of the population. So I think it was much more likely to keep marginal Clinton voters at home. And of course, you know, this was a this was a very close election. There were uh, the you know the difference of a few hundred thousand votes in three or four states would have been an entirely different outcome. And so these things only matter at the margins, but this was like I said, this was a very close election. And so uh, I I I you know I, I certainly think it's a matter of concern. You know, one thing I wanted to get at though is so it seems clear from this report that Russia developed a clear preference for Trump, as the intelligence community uh, has has put it. So I think we should ask why that is. And to me, there are three possible reasons, which means there probably are eight, but there were three that came to mind okay. for me. Number one, uh, Russia believes this because they think with Trump as president, there's going to be a greater likelihood for a mutually beneficial relationship. And that's all Russia wants is peace and harmony and goodwill among men and women. Number two, Putin hated Clinton and he put his personal preferences, his personal hatred of Clinton before anything else. Or number three, that they feel that Trump in office is a greater likelihood of a relationship that's beneficial to Russia and not necessarily to the United States. Now, it seems to me it's most likely a combination of number two and number three. We know that Putin is pretty much in charge of everything that goes on in Russia and that he really hates Hillary Clinton, for a lot of reasons. Uh, And so that's not to say that, I mean, in a sense, Donald Trump is is right. I don't say this very often, but he tweeted about that, uh, you know, only a fool would disagree that a better relationship with Russia is a good thing or words to that effect. And There's some truth in that. It would be nice if we could have better relations, but not if we sacrifice some of our longer-term strategic goals to that relationship. And so I I think – you know it would be great if we could have a better relationship but not if we essentially just accede to whatever Russia wants say oh it's fine russia if you go ahead and invade uh, the Crimea and take whatever you want and that's perfectly okay and that's i think a, a valid concern that a lot of people who are who have issues with donald trump's uh, uh, you know relations or potential relations with putin and russia have in mind what, what do you think
0: I I think I like your uh, I like your two and three uh, I, I I disagree with that one is much of a factor and of course, of course none of those are are really mutually exclusive sure absolutely um but the idea that that uh, Putin is worried about uh, geez I hope we get, have better relations with the Americans I hope they like us um, yeah I I just I'm not buying that no I no that he cares um. The the idea that uh, somehow he needs you know more acquiescence from the Americans again. I mean, uh, you had Obama saying, "Hey, wait till I can uh, next term, and I've got some more flexibility. and <laughs> You know, I've got just some more slack." Uh, you know, I I don't think the U.S. has done a whole lot to to stand up to the Russian expansiveness, whether it's in the Ukraine uh, or uh, in uh, Syria. Um, so I don't I don't get the sense that that that's the concern that he's looking for someone who will roll over um uh but I, I i do think yeah there's certainly evidence that he personally disliked uh hillary clinton and uh and hey there's probably very few things that uh, me and vladimir putin uh sure. agree on but uh-huh. you know <laughs> yeah All um, right. You know, so I think I think there is that, and and again, when you're sort of an autocrat, uh, you can sort of uh, design national policy to, to go along with your your personal uh, yes. animosities. So you can um, see where
1: Donald Trump would find that
0: extraordinarily appealing. I think at right, exactly. some level. Is, I mean, no, I mean, and, and whether, regardless, I mean, you could say Trump sort of understands how how Putin operates. <laughs> exactly, sort of exactly. The same way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, He'd make a great autocrat, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? um, What number three was? uh, That it would be to Russia's
1: benefit but not necessarily to ours. And I think that's just kind of standard sort of realist foreign policy thinking. We always want – we want leaders in place certainly that will work to our benefit and we don't really – we only care to – we only care about their benefit to the extent that it it helps us. At least that's kind of the realist foreign policy view. There's a whole other type of view. I would put a
0: little bit of a a nuance – because Democrat foreign policy people love nuance on on um, on point number three and say to the extent that uh, Trump would alienate other current U.S. allies. Right. Um, you know, that that he would would make it difficult for, um, say, the the, you know, Western Europe to to jump on board and to. Uh, yeah. Just as that. I think that, again, that gives gives Putin an opening. You know, I think that. So, yeah. yeah, that's a great point.
1: I think one thing that I wonder if Donald Trump fully appreciates is that is that relations with other countries, it's not a series of sort of bilateral one time only type of agreements. It's a it's a web of interrelations and you can't do one thing in one area without it affecting, you know, half a dozen or more. Other things, I, I mean, all presidents, I think, come to appreciate that. I just hope uh, Donald Trump comes to appreciate that before it's before it's too late, and before he does any kind of significant damage to our to our interests around the world. But we will we
0: shall see. Um, and, and let me let me just you know, point out like a quick example of this would be, say, uh, Trump embarks upon an aggressive uh, protectionist trade policy. Uh, That may alienate trade partners who might begin to look to the east.
1: Exactly. uh,
0: For – for uh other other deals i think it's a great point
1: right because that's part of the whole part of president obama's whole point of pushing the the tpp was yes it's a trade deal but it's also a a security deal in a way and that's i think what a lot of folks don't appreciate fully enough is that trade deals also help to bring people together and work as kind of you know in a in a sense sort of security defense type of deals and that's that's really important and uh, underappreciated i would say yeah all right um you know, with less than two weeks to go before Inauguration Day, wow, um, Donald Trump has essentially finished making all of his top level picks. And the two latest, Wall Street attorney Walter Clayton is going to be heading the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is basically naming a fox to guard the chicken coop. Um, and Robert Lighthizer is going to be the U.S. Trade Representative. Now, Lighthizer is a Washington attorney. He's well known for his skepticism of free trade. We're just talking about that. Um, and so to me, this is really nothing terribly out of character for the president-elect. I mean, he's no fan of regulation. He's no fan of trade deals that he believes disadvantage the United States. And I think most of his picks have reflected this. Uh, would you agree, Jay?
0: Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, you know, the SEC pick, I, I would point out, look, this is – you're always to some extent going to have a fox skirting the henhouse if you want to put it that way. Uh just because this is a an agency that deals with a lot of really complicated stuff and you you need someone who has sort of worked in that community and understands that that sort of stuff to be the regulator so i i really think that you know you're not you're not going to pull like the you know the county auditor out of you know you know wherever somewhere and say okay you're going to be the sec uh you know i think I think sort of by nature, I I would I would be a little concerned if the SEC um, uh, commissioner were were anyone other than a a Wall Street attorney. Well, yeah,
1: well, yeah. Now I'll agree with you on that because in a lot of folks who, you know, I think a lot of times my some of my some of my friends on the left don't fully appreciate that you can't bring in outsiders in these positions because they don't have the understanding of how things work. And so in that sense, I agree with you. But this is a this is somewhat different because Clayton is not just an insider. He's a guy who spent his whole career basically helping uh, – being a strong opponent of regulation and getting people off of that. So, I mean, I think this is, again – I expected this. I would have expected this from any Republican, so I'm not surprised. Uh, Hillary Clinton would have appointed someone I would have liked a whole lot more, but you know she didn't. No, she didn't know. win the I don't election. I,
0: I think I think she would have appointed someone pretty similar. Oh,
1: but, oh okay, well we'll have to disagree on yeah. that, but um, we will never know. Yeah, exactly. You know, a, a while back though. I suggested that almost as important as these top level picks would be the people appointed the positions just below them, these uh, assistant secretaries, undersecretaries. These are the appointments that don't typically get a whole lot of media coverage, but they're usually the people who are in charge of the day-to-day operations of their departments and agencies. And on that front, there's been an... Per- in- Personnel is policy. Exactly. Is, uh, what
0: Reagan used to say. You know,
1: I, there's a lot, a lot to be said for that. And there's kind of an interesting thing developing in the Department of Defense. Well, of course, Donald Trump uh, named General James Mattis to uh, to run the agencies. And uh, he's reportedly clashing with the transition team over nominations for some lower level picks. He's apparently objected to some some of the people, the Trump team has suggested he even wants to bring in some never Trumpers. And that's a move that they're really strongly uh, uh, opposing. And, you know, it seems to me that while loyalty is often a consideration, of course, with incoming presidents, it seems to me that Donald Trump has taken this somewhat further than maybe we're used to seeing.
0: I don't know. Would, would you agree with that, Jay? Um, you know, hard hard to say at this point. Again, there's the idea of of. Like we said, personnel is policy, and I can understand if if I were president, um, do you want to bring in people who are uh, uh, vocally opposed to you? I mean, do you want to bring in people who who may and try try to sabotage what you're doing? Um, because that certainly happens. Um,
1: you want to bring them in for interviews, and then you know dangle jobs before them on uh, well, their exactly. Romney and then pull them away. But, exactly. but yeah, yeah. You know, um, I think that so, that's so a really good point. I,
0: I understand that the, the idea of doing it in the military is, is a little more troubling, especially if he's got Mattis, who's, who's, you know, his guy who, who is okay with these people. Um, so, so I don't know the other, the other issue, of course, when any new administration comes in is you have a lot of supporters. Uh, and in this case, it's, it's a little different because they're not just your regular party faithful uh they're in fact a lot of people who really stuck their necks out against the the party establishment yeah and as a practical matter, you need to find a place to put them yeah no, uh, I think that's a really good point because and i think I think that's something that a lot of people don't appreciate in in politics and it, it's not it's not corruption it's not um uh you know you know any anything nefarious like that it's just a matter of uh there are people who who again make make sacrifices big sacrifices in their lives to try to help you out and it's you you one i think you can argue there's a moral thing of you ought to reciprocate uh where possible uh and the other is if you don't help out those people uh there may be a political price to pay sure
1: and, you know, I think something uh, that we have to keep in mind with the, with Donald Trump, of course, is that we have never seen uh, a president who was so uh, strongly opposed by so much of his own political party. And so that makes it a lot more difficult for him to find
0: good people. You don't have people. that regular pool. That, exactly. That you would have the pool have.
1: a lot smaller. You know, he's got like a, a waiting pool going on here, essentially. And so. So, yeah. Um, you know, and, there's one other thing I wanted to mention about the, the transition. An update on that big, beautiful border wall that Donald Trump promises to build—you yes. uh, know—he's now saying that the U.S. government will front the money. Uh, And that, of course, resulted in the media accusing him of breaking one of his signature campaign promises that Mexico would pay for the wall. And then Donald Trump, as you would expect, quickly shot back, saying that the dishonest media, which is one of his favorite phrases, um, (laughs) was mischaracterizing his remarks and that he only wants Congress to fund the wall initially to get things started, but that he still fully intends to make Mexico pay for it in the end. And, you know, to me, this is one instance where I think Guys, this might be the second time this episode I've said this word. Donald Trump kind of has a point in that I feel You're coming like, around. for you know, it. <laughs> no, him. we're not going to say that. Um, but uh, but but yeah, you know, I think the media did mischaracterize this a little. Bit. They were quick to jump on the, you know, uh, he's breaking a campaign promise, and it totally makes sense to me that you would get the the money initially from Congress and have Mexico pay back, though. That's not to say I think this is a good idea or even feasible. I think it's not feasible. It's not a good idea, but that's that's a whole other story. Uh Jay, what do you think? Broken campaign promise already or not?
0: No, no. I mean, uh you got to spend money to make money. Uh, <laughs> Donald Trump would tell you. Um I, look, I, I don't think anyone actually thought that Mexico would just would just write us a check <laughs> at that point then we, we would go ahead and build the wall. Right, yeah. Uh and and the the idea, you know, as as Trump has floated uh, as to how you recover this is is not so much a Mexico right to check, but we sort of take it out uh, through our other, you know, yeah uh tariffs and so forth that that end up Mexico actually paying for it um it's not it's not just a uh, we send them the invoice uh you know one wall right um, yeah, exactly and the, you know the, the, the price tag the last i heard maybe, maybe you might have better information on this was something around the in the nature of 8 billion dollars
1: i think that's what that's what the trump people are saying but it's looking but realistically it's probably more like 14 billion or something well, like I was gonna
0: that was going to say cuz 8 billion seems to me to Low. be at, you know in government Numbers. That's that's not that big of a number. No, you could um, have
1: like a line of concertina wire or something like that. I don't know, but right, it would not right. be like so, this. So again, that massive. might
0: give an indication of what we're talking about when we're talking about what the wall might might be or what. What Congress might approve for yeah, funding of and, a wall, and of
1: course, Donald Trump has already said, "Well, it might not be a wall in some places. You know, it could just be a barrier of some sort." Right. Or at least his folks right. have said that. So, but but again, there's that whole thing about uh, it's important apparently not to take what the president-elect of the United States says, you know, literally. Um, so, well,
0: no, I think yeah, take him seriously, but not literally. Yeah, that's yeah. troubling as heck.
1: Anyway, um. Before we move on, we'd like to thank our new supporters this week. Uh, First, we have Kathy from Illinois who writes, The Politics Guys is one of my new favorite podcasts. It's rare to hear people share valid points on both sides of a political issue while conceding points and agreeing to disagree without talking over the other. Thank you for keeping the torch burning. Oh, thank you, Kathy. Yeah, that was really nice, I thought. Thanks, Kathy. Our second new contributor this week is Tanya from Upper Saddle River, New Jersey. Uh, And Tanya, thank you very much for your extremely generous contribution to the show. It is greatly appreciated. It's going to help us out a lot. All right, and if Great. you're Thank you, Tanya. Yeah, and if you're interested in supporting the show financially, you can do what Kathy and Tanya did, go to politicsguys.com and click on either the PayPal or Patreon donation links we've got up there. We would really appreciate it. I should also mention, you know, we've got a small but kind of growing base of continuing monthly supporters. That's something that really easily you can set up easily in Patreon and That really helps us out a lot because even if it's just a a few bucks, it helps us know what we can expect, makes it easier to plan for the future and so forth. And, of course, uh, if you ever want to cancel an automatic monthly contribution, that's no problem to do. And, as always, it would be a big help if you could spread the word about the show by sharing and retweeting our new show posts on Facebook and Twitter and leaving reviews and ratings of the show on iTunes. All right. On to our Next story, and that is the 116th Congress, which convened for the first time this this last week. You know, as always, the initial task of the legislative chambers when they first meet is to agree on the internal rules that they'll govern themselves by. Now, this ended up getting House Republicans into some hot water, and one of their first acts, one that was opposed by their own leadership, was to defang the Independent Ethics Office that investigates alleged uh, ethical violations of members. Now, after a firestorm of protest, including some tweets from Donald Trump, House Republicans reversed course and left the Ethics Office as it was. So, Jay, what were they thinking?
0: Well, I think this was a a situation of uh, you know, can anyone here play this game? Um, <laughs> yeah. First of all, I, I would say on, on the substance of this, on the merits of it, um, I think the the folks who wanted to uh, defang the uh, uh, office uh, were were in the right. I mean, and, and I think it sort of it sort of presumes that the office was ever sort of fanged in the first place. Um, you know what what this this body did was was. Just sort of collect complaints, collect anonymous complaints, and then forward them to the the uh, the, uh, the House Ethics uh, Panel. Um, it's not unusual that that uh, organizations just like, like a, a you know Congressional Caucus or, Congre- or a, a House of Representatives has its own uh, and you know sort of makes its own rules, investigates its own members, uh, and then the the process from there is. You know, if there's something that's worthy of prosecution, it goes to, um, you know, someone else. Uh, In some cases, I know in Ohio, and this was something that I'm proud to have worked on, we set up an independent legislative inspector general, um, which which was. Which I think is, is a is a good thing to do, and I'm not sure if, if they have any similar process well, yeah. in Congress. Just
1: just one clarification on that, Jay. One thing that this this committee does is they conduct an independent investigation, and then they forward those findings to the ethics committee. So even though the House Ethics Committee, which is members uh, of Congress, can choose to ignore that, that report is out there, and it can be right. that can put a lot of pressure on them to if you know if this if this independent group finds evidence and then. And they just sort of try to put it, you know, under the rug. That's a real problem. And this happened in the wake of a number of scandals. And so I, that's that's one of the problems, of course, with lawmaking bodies if they get to make laws, including laws about how they're going to police their own membership. That can be a pretty huge conflict of interest.
0: Well, keep in mind we're we're talking about uh, ethics claims and not uh, illegality. There's there's right. two. Two, two different things. I mean there's one of the things of – things you ought to do, ought not to do and then there are others that are just plain illegal. So I think we should make clear that the all the you know regular prosecutorial authorities still would have all the prosecutorial powers they always had. Uh, and I think the, the concern that, that House Republicans had over this body as it had been set up was the idea that there could be anonymous complaints – uh, and that those complaints could be made public uh in other situations like this, you can make an anonymous complaint uh and then the the complaint is is remains uh confidential until such time as as the the independent body makes some kind of a recommendation or a referral um so i you know I think they saw this as a a political uh you know it, it's one of those deals you someone leaks something anonymously about sure. someone and then you go and you post the news of. Ethics panel investigating well, Congressman so and so. You know, Jay, I
1: think you've got a great point there. So I'm and gonna, that's, I'm, that's yeah, the problem. Yeah. I'm going to partially agree with you. I think that that can be a real issue, but if that were the only issue, then what they they could have they could have done something very different by. Altering that without essentially trying to destroy the independence of this commission, so I think they just use that as a ruse because nobody likes to be investigated, and they and so I, you know, I, I don't know that this would necessarily be something that Democrats would be opposed. So they were kind of glad maybe that Republicans would take the hit for this, but uh, but 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 yeah, you have a point, but I don't really think that was all there was. Uh, all there was to that certainly.
0: Um, well, I. I- Again, I, I, I would absolutely agree that, that the Republicans botched the how do we handle this. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and again, they, they should have done something different and, and, or you know, just let it lie for the time being.
1: Well, well yeah. Um, Another concern I think is that the, the rank and file just had no problem with one of their first things to ignore their own leadership and that does not augur well for how things yeah. might go in the future for, you know, for, for the house leadership. And, and so that, that is a a concern to me. I mean, you need to have somebody in charge. If, if people are just kind of doing their own thing, that's a, that's, I think a recipe for uh, maybe not disaster, but certainly not, not a good thing.
0: Yeah. You know, also, no, go ahead. Let, let me, I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw one last thing and just, just because yeah. I want listeners to understand a little bit how you can, the political spin that can happen when you have an ethics organization, even if it's, the kind of one that, that I think you and I would both agree that that you want. Um, Ohio has an Ohio Ethics Commission that that takes a look at what uh, public officials do. And part of their job is, is to advise public officials. And you can, if you have a concern, say, you know, you write to them and say, hey, I've got a, a you know, concern here. What's the ethical thing for me to do? at which point the Ethics Commission will have its attorneys take a look and they will offer guidance. It's non-binding. Sure. Uh, it is, it is uh, just sort of here is our opinion. But there's sort of a safe harbor then if you follow that opinion and, and right. they, you know, do what they tell you. Absolutely. So, But I've been involved in situations where you have someone who, a public official who out of the making, wanting to make sure they do the right thing, seeks guidance from the Ethics Commission, uh, receives a letter saying okay here's the guidance and you have the opposition uh, where they have an opposition press uh, take take the stand you know ethics commission sends letter to so-and-so I mean and it's it's built up in this and that's that's what when when people are thinking politically that's the concern that that they have and that's that's not a um, you know that that's not a concern we should just just do away with lightly because the, the inverse then is okay. Forget it. I'm not going to. Sure. You know. Well, I see what you're saying. I, I think you're right, but but I think the answer to, uh, to dealing with sensationalistic
1: media isn't making you know uh, making things uh, less transparent so they can't get a hold of it. I, I think you know that's that's kind of not really dealing with the root of the issue. But yeah, I think that's a you know I think that's a reasonable point and something that that maybe sometimes people uh, on my side of the aisle don't don't. Consider uh, enough of. So, yeah, I, I say there's at least worth considering. Um, you know, one other thing I, I, I think it's important to mention that Republicans in Congress are going full speed ahead with something they've been aching to do for years, and that's repeal Obamacare. Now, of course, they have majorities in both chambers, but they still can't do a complete repeal because Senate Democrats would be able to successfully filibuster it. And right now, there aren't enough Republicans interested in doing away with the filibuster to eliminate that option. And and so Republicans have to rely on something called reconciliation, which is a process that doesn't allow for the minority in the Senate to filibuster, but it can, but it can only be used for things that are directly related to reducing the budget. So mm-hmm. the current plan seems to be to cut away as much of Obamacare as they can using reconciliation, delay the implementation of these cuts to give people time to adjust and to eventually replace Obamacare with something better. All without anyone, including the federal government, paying more for coverage, without reducing payments to doctors, without imposing any new regulations on insurers, and without anyone losing medical coverage or having to settle for worse or more expensive coverage. And that seems, oh, totally doable. To, to, to me so uh, good luck republicans uh jay well, what are your thoughts on this republican impossible a dream move,
0: a lot of moving pieces on this yeah obviously. um it's but, be a but the be as far as reconciliation goes that's how obamacare was passed was through reconciliation if you remember because they did not have uh the votes to in the senate um yeah and so i mean look it's you know, am I crazy about using that as a a process to get stuff done now well, maybe 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 not, but uh, that's how we we got here um, but look it's it's gonna be a hard problem, and there is going to be some sort of republican alternative uh, that's going to come f- come forward um you know, I don't know what that's gonna be. The outlines that I've heard so far are talking about. Uh, Medicaid block grants essentially giving – instead of running it through federal Medicaid saying, OK, we're going to take that chunk of money that we, we would have spent and we're going to give it to the states to sort of set up their own programs, um, which uh, I, I think that's – that seems to be a pretty reasonable way to go. Um, you know, we'll we'll see how things have have turned. There's going to be some churn, no matter. Yeah, what. you
1: think? Yeah, uh-huh. uh huh. I think that's the problem but, is they don't have a plan. I mean, there's no agreement on a plan. I don't think there's necessarily going to be a lot, and and it's real easy to envision the repeal, you know, happening. But then when it comes to the replace, all of a sudden they're not going to have the votes, and that's going to be a big uh, a big disaster. Now I've gone on record a number of times in the past saying that I do not think that Obamacare was the right way to deal with health care, but I think that the Republican plan, if you want to call it that, to do away with it is going to end up causing them grief. And I'm actually, you know, while I feel awful for the people who are going to lose coverage in the interim, because let's keep in mind that uh, over 20 million people got coverage who didn't have it before, uh, and that's that's horrible for those people, I think it's going to be good for Democrats in the long run because they're going to realize that republicans don't have a plan it's going to fail and that's going to help out democrats in uh, moving forward and i think that's a good thing
0: uh taking my again thousand you know uh foot view here i'd say yeah the republicans are going to take some hits because anytime you change something even if it's only been in place for a little bit uh there are going to be people who are are hurt or uh discomforted uh by it um I I doubt that there's going to be mass losses of coverage. Um, you know, basically, I think that we'll see. You know what the, what, the, what the numbers show uh, are that the, the most the biggest gains of insured people who were uninsured and moved to the ranks of the insured were simply through Medicaid expansion. Yeah, um, absolutely. So it you know really I mean the whole this whole bit about the exchanges and so forth that doesn't play in that much. Um, Correct to that, uh, you, and Medicaid so I, people I, I, don't vote, and so and we the, don't care about them. Companies right? Companies want yeah. to cover people; that's how they make money. Um, so, I, 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 think there will be some some turmoil, but I don't think again. And the and the, the Democrats are are playing this up, I think unfairly, as Republicans are just going to repeal all this, rip the rug out from under you, uh, you know, take away your Medicaid. Uh, Here, well, and a- – well. Yeah, well, you're right. Democrats With, without doing yeah. anything else, and I and I, you know, look, I get that from the a political playbook yeah. uh, standpoint, but I I don't think it's it's uh, accurate. Well, here's
1: something to keep in mind, right? That uh, repealing is a lot easier, at least partially repealing is a lot easier than replacing, because replacing is going to require uh, sixty votes in the Senate, which Republicans don't have now. It's possible if you take a look. If if we look ahead, I can't believe I'm saying. If we look ahead to twenty eighteen. God um Democrats are going to be defending a lot more Senate seats than Republicans yep. so you can envision uh, if Republicans do extraordinarily well that they could maybe pick up some seats. I don't think they're going to pick up enough seats to get a filibuster-proof majority. In fact, I would not be surprised if, even though midterm elections tend to, you know, uh, well, midterm elections generally tend to hurt the president's party, and I would not be surprised if they hurt the, the Republicans a whole lot, depending on what Donald Trump does. My, my larger point here is that, Making something happen is always a lot harder, just due to the nature of the process than stopping things from happening. and Republicans are going to yeah. Republicans are going to run smack dab into that reality, which they haven't had to face for a while. It's a lot easier to be in the opposition and screaming about things you want to stop than actually to make positive change happen, and, and that's going to be well Republicans' big lesson, I think.
0: Well, there's, there's the other piece of this, though, is that a lot of those Democrats in uh, – who are up uh, – Senate Democrats who are up for election um, are going to be put on the spot and there's the opportunity to say, listen, we presented a really great uh, proposal to move forward with getting rid of Obamacare, sure. which sure. is, is still unpopular in plenty yeah. of places. Now, it's going to be different state by state. Um but there's going to be there's going to be pressure on some of those Senate Democrats uh, to yeah. to to work work with Republicans, yeah. uh, and and again there are some if, some some if, states where it's it's so safely Democratic they'll they will they can you know vote no on anything, others not so much.
1: Yeah, well, if they present a, a really good uh, a policy right. replacement right. kind of thing, so but yeah, that's a good point. All right, um, you know, Jay, it's time for we haven't done this in a while. I'm excited to do it again. Under the radar, where we discuss okay. news that we feel didn't get the attention it deserved this week. Now uh, what I want to talk about this week involves Equifax and TransUnion, two of the big three consumer credit evaluation bureaus experienced a third one. Now this Mm -hmm. week, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau the CFPB ordered them to pay your favorite
0: your favorite agents,
1: it is actually yes ordered them to pay more than 23 million dollars in fines and restitution for deceiving customers about the credit reports they were getting saying they were the same as the reports lenders saw and used when they weren't and also engaging in deceptive marketing practices and getting people to unknowingly sign up for services that they didn't want now Jay, I'm sure you know, obviously, I've mentioned the CFPB a number of times in previous Under the Radar segments. And that's because this is they do the sort of unsung work that I think a lot of regulatory agencies do all the time. And also, the CFPB has been under attack from Republicans since its inception as part of the Dodd-Frank reform in 2010. And I think it's very likely that in a Trump administration, it's going to end up being a shadow of its current self. Now, I should say, I'm no fan of regulation for regulation's sake. And I certainly think there are some areas where we could benefit from less regulation. For instance, the explosion of occupational licensing regulations at the state level is, I think, a, a great example of that. But some regulation can be a very good thing. And I am glad that for the moment at least, the CFPB is out there doing this important work, keeping – trying to at least keep financial institutions honest on behalf of the American people. So I just wanted to give them a little shout out and thank you, CFPB, and I hope that they'll keep on doing that.
0: Jay, any thoughts on, on that? Sure. Some regulation can be a good thing. Uh, but as you sort of pointed out, that there are thousands of agencies that, that do this sort of thing and fraud has always been illegal. I shouldn't say always, but uh, it's pretty widely illegal from uh, uh, at any federal or state level. Um, so I'm always, you know, my issue is is do we really need another agency doing this? Uh, look, if if these companies are defrauding consumers, then uh, they ought to be held accountable. So I I think great, uh, more power to them. Um, is this something that uh, that we need the federal government involved in? Yeah, I'd, I'd wait and see. Maybe maybe not, but. Um, You know, I I don't have I don't have I don't have an issue with what the uh, uh, CFPB did. I I have an uh, issue that they were the ones to do it.
1: No, I understand what you're saying. But to me, and it's it's true that, you know, fraud is is illegal and and but. To me, the problem is it's like saying, well, uh, you know, burglary is illegal, but then if we don't have any cops, you know, how are we going to catch people and prosecute them? And so the CFPB is being kind of like the, the cop, and the investigator, and especially in these issues where people are being defrauded by a little bit. You know, say it's, it's $100 a year or something like that, which is not in the grand scheme of things huge, but you add that up over tens of thousands of people and it's a pretty big You know, illegal windfall and who's going to who's who's going to take care of that, who's going to be the champion of these people. We need agencies to do that. And that is exactly what I think the CFPB is doing. And I am glad they are doing it. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and welcome back after our uh, after our holiday or sorry, Christmas break. Um, if you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or questions for us, the Politics Guys, we would love to hear from you. Our email is mail at politicsguys dot com, and our Facebook page, where we post throughout the week, is facebook dot com slash politicsguys. We're also on Twitter at politicsguys. And we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe to the show and leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast service you use. Also, sharing and retweeting our new show posts and tweets helps a lot. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can do that through the PayPal or Patreon links on our website. And finally, if you enjoy the show, you should definitely check out the Politics Guys weekly newsletter. You can take a look at previous newsletters and sign up to have it delivered to your email inbox on our website, politicsguys.com. Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.